Welcome to Thought Speak, a podcast dedicated to the discussion of K.A. Applegate's 1996 book series, Animorphs. My name is Coleman. And my name is Mitchell. And before we dive into tonight's thrilling episode, I would just like to go ahead and thank our Patreon subscribers, always making this episode happen. Uh, we are going to go ahead and thank Ben Freeman, Noah Troutman, Jeremy, Jennifer Baker, James Miola, Kendra, Kevin Kuskowski, Graith, Tony Pazak, David C., Kelly Brown, Josh Blount, Daniel Martinoli, Nita Labrada, Gaffaro, Tim Aheen, Sorrent Joyce, Michael Blemick, and last but not least, good old Steve Adams. Uh, thank you all very much for helping to keep this podcast going, pumping some lifeblood into us. Um, so much so that we feel so energized to tackle this next book. Uh, we have invited a very special guest, someone we just met, <laughs> onto our show. Uh, welcome, Andrew. Uh, hello. It is an absolute pleasure to be on the show. Hey, surprise guest. What do you know? Um, yeah, yeah. So, if, just so you know, Andrew won our um, raffle to have be a guest on uh, ThoughtSpeak. <laughs> I stuffed the ballots. That's not true. There was no raffle. Yeah. <laughs> um, a few of you have reached out to us about guest hosting in case uh, one of our hosts couldn't show up. And it just turned out that we just uh, decided to have someone on anyway. Well, it's good uh, to play I'm, the field, I think. I'm very excited. Uh, when you put out that call, I remember like I'd driving home from school as fast as I can to record the audition and everything. <laughs> i got to be the first. I had to yeah. be. Well, it worked out, apparently. <laughs> Well, we've got a lot of responses, and, uh, you know, I, I, I definitely put you up there at the top of uh, the candidate pool. and So, so we're we can just only ha- go up from here. We're, we're happy to have you aboard. Thanks for joining <laughs> us on this wild ride, because tonight's episode is going to be Book 40, The Other. And oh. I can honestly say I don't remember reading this one as a kid. Um, I, I definitely didn't read this one. Uh, I was... Um, Obsessed, not obsessed, but I, the one I read the, the most of these ghostwritten books was the one right after this one, The Familiar. So, uh, yeah, I definitely never read this lead-in, though, which has nothing to do with the other one. <laughs> I remember specifically avoiding this one as a kid because it had new Marco on the cover, and very young Andrew hated short hair Marco and just refused to read this one and some other ones out of his own prejudices. Yeah, I mean, old Marco... Uh, I thought he was really cool with like the the medium length hair uh, mm-hmm. in the '90s. That was super rad. And uh, short hair, he was ahead of his time. And you know, he kind of looked like a gorilla on those covers. He had a very ape like face. So that's racist. <laughs> <laughs> Way to go! Uh, yeah. So I, I mean, you want to dive right into talking about the cover on this bad boy? Let's let I want to hear Andrew's opinion on the cover. Already. Let's well, go to Andrew. <laughs> hot take number one, it's new Marco, so it's garbage. Cool. Uh, I can respect that. <laughs> uh, it, this one, so mine has the Watch Animorphs on TV logo in the bottom left. Uh, yep. I'm pretty sure they it, all do from here on out. There, there's something about like how poorly CGI'd the bee is to me. Like, I feel like <laughs> the other covers, they, they had like cooler looking animal artwork. Like, this is just like very... I don't know, this one's very obviously, like, it makes me think of the very first one with that awful green anole on the first book yeah, that's so right. poorly rendered. Uh, and it's weird It's weird to me that they take one of the most common insects or animals that, like, every kid knows 
and they somehow still screw it up. Like that that doesn't really look like a bee to me, other than the colors. Uh, yeah. It's just weirdly shaped, and it looks like a know. bee transformer toy I had, but it yeah. does not look like yeah. a bee. Other than that, just the, also, the pink and like dark bluish purple is just not a very pretty or attractive. It, it looks color like scheme. a religious book. Like you could open <laughs> this up and get like some daily prayer thoughts. Like it's that very specific color scheme. Well, Marco's the way he's like holding himself too. It's like he's either like about to fall off his skateboard or he's like flying to heaven. No, so, he right? looks he looks bored. Is what he <laughs> if he really he's does the most like, bored inline skater ever. To go back to that watch Animorphs on TV logo, uh, this book can be noted for uh, being the book before they added "Please watch Animorphs on TV" <laughs> when they got desperate. Uh, oh man, this is, this is not that far behind uh, when the TV show got canceled. So I don't know if oh I thought it was canceled well before this came out. I thought this was right around the time. Why would they keep putting that on there though? Be- just because yeah. they had a deal or something, I'm sure. Probably like if, if it hadn't been canceled at this time, they probably already had these like printed well in advance. Uh, so I could see that. Hmm. Yeah, that could be the case. Yeah, who knows? But not not a very remarkable cover. And and yeah, weird color scheme. The orange. Um, orange being the main color, and yeah. then the, the purple and blue is just Not strange. pretty. The inside cover is really bizarre to me, too. Oh, it... before that, the uh, the oh, yeah. sheer 90s reference uh, stupid quote, this is your brain, yeah. this is your brain with a yerk, any questions? That's lifted right from that, uh, that PSA. The commercial. Yeah, it's like yeah. an egg, isn't it? Like yeah. uh, frying or something like that? Yeah, yep. it's the girl with the short hair, the pixie haircut, and she's like... This is your brain on drugs, uh, but yeah, just just weird. We had a couple books where like the the little quote on the front was on point for like what the book was actually about, and then they just reverted back to this. Drop the yeah, ball. I was gonna say because this has nothing to do with the plot. Like, there's no he's it has literally. Well, Andrew, you see the Yerks, they take over your brain. <laughs> is that what they do? Okay, I've been misunderstanding this book series for a while then. I'm glad you clarified it. I thought they I... were just in cahoots with the humans. <laughs> I thought they were just bestest pals. Well, I mean, some of them they are. And well, those, are the, those are the controllers we don't talk about. Sure, sure. Spoiler but... alert for the next book. So are those supposed to be those Andalite plants, the... Uh... The Ilsapar, the, caf- the Ilsapar, the caf- root, the caffeine plants. Yeah, yeah those well, things. <laughs> but like, why it's would much you, like your Earth coffee? I, I went back and reread it. Why would it be a gla- like a greenhouse, and then anyone could see him running around in his andalite form? I think. Like, I think he. They tried to stay in human form. Well, they, in the greenhouse. They said that he had know. he had a tall hedge. Uh, like a privacy. Well, event. and the force field. Still, it seems like an unnecessary risk away. to go with just like a pure glass greenhouse for your alien garden when he's yeah, so def- he's so obsessed with security in the book. Yeah, it definitely is, but it's just one of those things they gloss over, and they're like, "This is fine." Because the privacy hedge is not going to stop me from looking at my neighbors. I know that for a fact. So, wow, I, I about I Andrew. Hey, look, we don't got a lot of thrills here in Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, uh, how's about, Andrew, you have the honors of reading the back of the book, if you'd like. Whoa. Ooh, okay. Axe and the Animorphs have always believed he was the only non-infested Andalite on Earth, that he alone survived the terrible battle between his people and the Yerks. Until now. There were other survivors, other Andalites, and they're here on Earth, trying to keep a low profile, 
trying to find a way to defeat Visser Three, trying, like Axe and the Animorphs, to stay alive until help finally comes. If help finally comes. Wow. So we, we continue the tradition of saying Axe and the Animorphs, mm-hmm. like he's not a part of them. But yeah. then we have suddenly gone to three ellipses. Mm-hmm. When we've always had four on the back. You know what else strikes me odd about this uh, uh, description of the book is Axe is mentioned specifically, leading one to believe that this would be an Axe book, like from his perspective. Marco's yeah, not even actually. mentioned in this yeah, in this description. No, this is just the book where we find out Axe is a horrible, horrible person. Right though, <laughs> sure, he's like the if he's like racist almost. Yeah, if we would have been, in, if this would have been an axe book, we would have gotten all these like Andalite slurs, uh, and and just being like, man, I wish that guy was just dead. <laughs> it's it's insane. Like that was my biggest thing reading this was like, okay, I know I haven't read some of these in a while, but I don't remember Axe being this big of a jerk. <laughs> well, it, he it's has definitely his, he has like, his jerk moments definitely towards the end of the I'll, series. I'll admit this is actually something I liked about the book: the fact that you actually have you feel a little bit of that culture clash. No. That we don't get that often between the alien races and the humans. No, precisely. I thought that, I thought that was actually a little, a little good on their part. Yeah, thank goodness. Actually, thank goodness Marco wouldn't drop it. You know. <laughs> I, yeah. I was uh, I was explaining the plot to this to uh, a certain individual uh, who I'm close with, and I was explaining that I love that I love in any fiction with aliens where they act different. Like when there's like really something. Uh, I'm not the biggest Doctor Who fan anymore, but when the 11th Doctor came around, he was, like, really alien and said stuff like, nobody human has anything to say to me. And I love when it's like, oh, wait, you're not just our, like, our blue friend here. Like, you're an entirely different species and culture, and there's going to be weird hang-ups between those. And you're, like, a kid from your culture, so there's even more weird stuff. I yeah, love that. Yeah, for his book, but he doesn't drop it. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't conclude in a good place, uh, <laughs> that, that little subplot. I know, and I actually, like, again, while it's kind of messed up, I so agree with you. I, was, I wanted to bring that up, that it was a, such a cool thing. Yeah, but the cover sucks, am I right, guys? Oh, stupid <laughs> You bees. better believe it. Uh, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go right ahead, just at the start of the book. You know, these things tend to start out either plunging right into action or whatever, and this has Mark kind of, co- or Mark, Mark. Good old Mark, you know. No, that's what we're calling short hair Marco. He's just Mark. He doesn't get Marco. <laughs> it just—he's just missing the O factor. Yeah. He's turned into a regular white guy. <laughs> but that's racist. He's, he's watching TV, and uh, you know, it's a lot of good '90s references. But unsolved mysteries seems to be the prevalent one, and uh, coincidences abound as they tend to do in these things, especially when they're trying to kickstart the plot. And uh, there's, like, shaky cam footage of uh, what appears to be an Andalite. Uh, Wait, Mitch, I don't want to go on one of my crazy tangents, but Unsolved Mysteries, isn't that that show about sometimes supernatural occurrences and how people might relate to them? Uh, If I may step in here, gentlemen, to settle this dispute, uh, Unsolved (laughs) Mysteries is definitely about this, uh, much related to a certain other show you can find on your podcasting uh, devices and however you might find them monster move podcast your outsider's perspective podcast for all things spooky strange supernatural uh, has received many of its topics from a late night amazon prime rewatching of unsolved mysteries now wait i know i could find this podcast easily on itunes using the search bar but is there a podcast like a website i could go to as well uh, if you go to our super basic page at monster move that's l-i-b-s-y-n.com why you can find it there 
Oh, hey. I, wow. I also use Libsyn. Anyway. Hey. I wish they were paying me. <laughs> but yeah, uh, uh, Unsolved Mysteries was formative <laughs> in my youth, as it would eventually lead to my podcast. So I relate super hardcore to the scene of just flipping through. I spent many a night bedraggled, having dealt with uh, my mom being taken over by an alien, uh, and not being able to tell my dad about it by watching Unsolved Mysteries was a very common occurrence for me. Part of that wasn't true. Part of that didn't happen. But the Unsolved Mysteries part definitely did. I didn't realize how relatable these books were. Jeez. Especially SpongeBob. <laughs> this is not too long after SpongeBob first aired. SpongeBob's world premiere was in 1999. I remember because I watched it. So, like, they, they really actually, that was a surprisingly relevant reference for the time. Uh, that, I think, right there is what, we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording, but that right there, I think, is what really differentiates millennials. It's the the people that got on the SpongeBob bandwagon and like liked it, and then the people who just straight up never watched it, could care less, annoyed oh. by SpongeBob. Are you not quoting <laughs> See, like, SpongeBob memes on a daily? No. I see other people doing <laughs> yeah. it, and I'm like, boy, I missed out. <laughs> see, I feel like that was the first show that that had like this traction behind it with like a certain age group that I I passed. Like, I hopped off at Invader Zim. One. Invader Zim, I feel like, was the best oh. uh, or the last good original like Nicktoon. Invader Zim was amazing. Invader Zim oh. was great. Uh, we can all it, millennials and post millennials and pre millennials can all agree Invader Zim was the superior cartoon. <laughs> and it might be coming back on Netflix. That's right. Oh my god! With, with original creator Jonan Vasquez, our our next Jonan podcast, so our next podcast. I still I still want a live action. Just a, another tangent. I still want a live action. Um, Johnny the Homicidal movie. Maniac. Yeah, a movie of yes. Johnny the Maniac. Uh, I uh, it would be agree. so messed up, and it'd be great. Or uh, I feel sick. It needs an adaption. I don't care how they mm-hmm. do it. If it's animated or not, I feel sick. I feel like short films would be great for I feel sick. Yeah. Oh man! Anyway, damn, dude, there's a lot of good shit in the pipeworks. To go back to this book, um, I do want to speak as we start it. Did anyone else feel like going into this book? It's like, wait, have they used this plot device before? See, yeah, they do it all the time. (laughs) Like, I know, like this exact plot device. They keep going back to the well for it's like, uh oh, because more anim- there's more andalites. Oh, you, you thought the andalite thing? I thought you meant the seeing the plot delivered to them on television, convenient news uh, broadcast no. or whatever. Wasn't that I one mean, of the megamorphs I mean, overall? Yeah, yeah, like, that's yeah, yeah. Like one of the megamorphs had them like watching a news broadcast and seeing something. But overall, that that definitely was repeated as well. But overall, I feel like we've gotten a lot of like andalites in need but they're they're not they don't want your help but then we're gonna like butt in anyway and well i i told you this i told you this before we started recording that uh this one felt like uh two characters that got cut from that last axe book like they just didn't have time to fit in these characters side stories you know just two books ago we got oh andalites are back i mean why are they why are they repeating this kind of uh, returning Andalite plotline, so you know, close to one another, and they they do that thing where he says like oh, another Andalite, like again, like you said two books ago, we just found a bunch. Like, why is this so bizarre? Because they're really like, is this Axe? Why, why would it be Axe? Like, you know, there's <laughs> other they Andalites. Had, they had to reference that in this book too, the fact that they met up with other Andalites because Axe is all excited at first that <laughs> his girlfriend might be coming back. Oh, Axe! It he never lands. I feel like I, that's definitely a Applegate uh, like correction. Is I think the ghostwriter I don't want to assume probably wasn't aware that two books ago there had been Andalites, so they had to hurriedly put that in to be like, oh no, wait, we did we did this thing like yeah. just a little bit ago. 
<laughs> we've already done this uh yeah you know and it kind of ruins marco's night he mentions it's like his night off they didn't have a mission or anything and jake and kessie and rachel were all busy so what he has to do is go meet up with axe and tobias because of course they're like bffs living together basically uh and here's where i thought this this was gonna be like a plot point but then it turns out to not really be one because as soon as marco brings him up to speed on like this this uh, program that he saw, he's like, yeah, but we'll have to rewatch it to, to really make sure, and I don't know how we're going to do that, because it's the 90s, and we have to wait for the broadcast again. <laughs> but Axe is conveniently like, oh no, I have all of TV recorded on VHS tapes over here. No, 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 no. <laughs> Hold up. Yeah. Hold up. Axe has CD-ROM technology, is what he's recording this oh, to. Oh, good old VCDs. <laughs> The format of gods, VCD. <laughs> Everyone loves VCD. Well, either way, this this scene is overdue for a massive updating. <laughs> well, yeah, because no, now we, no. go ahead. I, I, we don't need updates on these things. I love love reading about. Uh, yeah, like you said, VCD. Like uh, completely forgot about it. Correct, because if they did this now, it would just be like he would Skype, like send over the YouTube link to Axe. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he'd pull up the YouTube link right away and be like, here you go. <laughs> he wouldn't even leave go his back apartment. On his DVR. Yeah. But yeah. It, would, it would save time in the overall, in the long run, because then you won't have to read several paragraphs about how, oh, coincidence upon coincidences again, we, we well, have the footage. <laughs> if you think about, like, all the books we've gone through so far, like, you know, book 12 and book 19, like, so many of these things... Uh, would have stopped the York invasion like dead in his tracks of them just being caught on live TV by accident. Uh, like that's happened multiple times, and it's only worked because no one can rewind the tape. <laughs> sure, I guess. Well, I, I actually I don't know if I would agree because nowadays you have like people on the internet that are watching newscasts and are immediately like they're reptilians. And they'll look up any little bit of footage, like to show and prove why, you know. Oh like, yeah, yeah. Look at the way people. he walks here. You could tell he's hiding a tail. Or you get a lot of you get a lot of people being like, "Oh, that's Photoshop," or "That's you know," which for, After Effects. Which for my tangent would make a great update to Animorphs. Is like, okay, the Yorks are back somehow, uh, or if they just like did a, a future story, that would be great because it would be like, uh, you know, they can't figure out like, oh, this just these conspiracy nuts who are believing in these aliens online, and there's, like, a podcast about talking about them, and it turns out they were right. Oh, no. To, to go on another tangent, you want to know what a modern interpretation of a Yurk invasion would look like? Jeez. Oh, <coughs> a sneeze. Sorry, to sneeze. Yeah. No, it would it would be the Yurks coming to Earth openly as aliens and just talking people into their invasion. Oh, yeah, they'd be like... like yeah, you're right. Like a religion. Yeah, it would 100%. <laughs> like a religion or, uh, you know, they would just get people on their quote-unquote team. Like they would, it, they would it, talk people. Yeah, it'd be like the brain slugs from Futurama, except not like a satire. Yeah, it'd be the horrifying controllers who were like voluntary controllers, mm -hmm. but it would be in mass. And they would be like, it would just be nothing but like depressed, disaffected people like who can't stand how the world is going in their eyes and so they all willingly give up to the yurks because they have nothing else to live for yeah it would work <laughs> if, if, no if, like there's no part of it doesn't think that they would like win instantly and it's, then we become like unity on rick and morty and everything works out for the best yeah the singularity <laughs> man just join in there you go now you just have, like the board you have the animorphs <laughs> you'd have the animorphs being the minority like 
uh, resistance. Yeah, they, uh, they would be all like on Reddit or some other social media. That no, it would be like that. they live. Like if you've ever seen that movie, the they live is great. Uh, like a sequel to they live, where the aliens open operate openly, and uh, there's just a small group of people who are trying to stay hidden from just people knowing that they don't agree with the. Uh, you know, the aliens in and charge. so Rowdy Rowdy Piper comes in. <laughs> what the F are we talking about Who? anymore? Uh, oh, they live, man. Anyway, <laughs> you know, they live just I, like I, oh, the yeah, Andalites exactly. live in the forest. <laughs> <laughs> Good segue. You went to the, the Mitch and Coleman school of segues, I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> Been listening for years. So, actually, here's a point uh, that I'm going to refer to Seropedia, because our next plot point is that uh, after, you know, studying this, this footage of this uh, Andalite because they're they're trying to deduce whether it's like Axe or if it could be somebody else that they know. Uh, Tobias is able to be like, oh no, it's got a tail thing that it that tells me it's not uh, it. Well, according to the Seropedia entry, Tobias is able to tell that Myrtle is a Veckel, despite the fact that his raptor vision would not be able to notice details on a grainy television any more than a human or Andalite eyes could. It's. Boom. I feel though. I feel you. You went over Veckel without the proper grandeur that is required for learning a new Andalite slur word. It's. It, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll get mean, to that because we're going to talk word? about it right now. Actually. Exactly. Yeah. Veckel. Add that to your uh, list of words to never say in front. See, of. See, I always said Veckel. Uh, I didn't say Veckel. Yeah, Veckel. I don't. I, yeah, it's a made-up alien language, so I don't think it, it particularly matters in one way or the other. But I think I think Vehicle sounds way cooler, but uh, well, I, it I doesn't was... sound cool at all. It's an offensive term. <laughs> yeah, Mitch. <laughs> it it sounds like uh, I don't know. It sounds like yeah. So 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 which do you think this is? Do you think this is just the Andalite descriptive word, or Axe is really just teaching them a slur? and saying it as if it's just descriptive. Considering how the other Andalites in the situation react, I feel like it's fairly offensive. I don't know if I would say it's a slur, but it's a word that, like, you know... It's we can call it what it is. Well, it's just saying we have like we have words yeah. in our in the English language. I'm not going to bring them up. Yeah. We have words that started out as like just baseline fact descriptive. Exactly. That have now become slurs. Exactly. And I think that this is the equivalent because I think the 90s is when the c word started really uh, becoming more like whoa. Maybe we should just call a guy that. So, Wait, which which c word are you talking about? You know, uh, country. Christ. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh. I don't remember Coconut. a time where that was ever just no, a normal uh, word. Like, let's, I'll be the one to say it. I'm the guest. Oh, I'll cripple. Say, I'll okay. say cripple. Uh, I thought you were talking I, about the other one. No, I was not talking about country. Uh, <laughs> All right. Bringing some color to the to thought speak. Good, good old good Kentucky times. flavor. Uh, <laughs> like a shot of whiskey in the... Horses behind. Uh, I'm gonna let. I'm just mean. gonna let this thing derail and not even try to. <laughs> not even try to. Take well, it'll derail back. like them old Kentucky trains that I don't know the name of a famous line of because I live in Northern Kentucky where we got flush toilets. Good for you. Yeah, I told uh, you. I said that was Southern Kentucky. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, you don't see me banding about my West Virginia heritage on the podcast. <laughs> you should. Uh, we're we're pretty proud of our home. States, at least I am. All right, all right, Minnesota. It's I mean, it's heaven here. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, 
So the the the, the book, the thing. Okay, so yeah. here's the thing. There, a lot of this book is just like, all right, we're gonna go look for this guy, or we're gonna go watch this guy, or we're gonna go tell this guy. So this is kind of the start of it. They're like, all right, we we got this vague mission. We got to go look for this andalite. Uh, they go hang out around the woods, you know, as they tend to do for a couple of pages, paragraphs, um, just looking for the dude, um, because they assume the visitor three is also after him. And, uh, at one point Marco's just like off on his own, demorphing, doing his thing. And then, you know, we get the description of this gigantic, like this is the Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, you know, early bodybuilding days, uh, version of an Andalite where, uh, even his arms are ripped, apparently. <laughs> now, Andrew, um, being a millennial, yeah. uh, for your generation, uh, he's the Dwayne, Dro- uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson <laughs> of Andalites. Arnold Schwarzenegger, he was that governor, right? Like, yeah. He's in that old movie with the robots. Yeah. Yeah, Predator, right? Oh, wait, he actually wasn't Predator. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Right. He, he was. <laughs> he was the star of Predator. But, wow. Uh, you just aged yourself. We weren't even joking. I love Predator said. so much. Oh, man. <laughs> No, but obviously, like, uh, I told Mitch, I joked to Mitch before the podcast, like, if I had to rename this book, it'd be, uh, you know, Animorphs number 40, The Scorpion King. It's, um, like, I love just how, like, this is very clearly the Ghost Rider really being into muscles. Like, just describing how <laughs> thick and ripply they are. It's like, okay. Well, it's like, maybe they're, like, really into, like, 90s, like, superheroes when they used to just draw them, like, twice oh, as big as they were. Rob Liefeld and all them were getting Yeah, like, image. weird anatomy, like, muscles that shouldn't be there. Like, but I thought this was actually, like, incredibly badass. Like, this this Andalite comes out, and just, just the picture of, like, his tail blade is like a scythe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's just, he's just rippling muscles. Like, we have not seen an Andalite warrior like this. Because in the book so far, they've been described as, you always think of them like, um, like samurais. Mm-hmm. Like these very accurate and, like, you know, light on their feet warriors. And this is a guy who's got, you know, all of that plus, like, a huge amount of muscle behind him. Mm-hmm. You know, like this the, is... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, like, all, all the other Andalites are, like, described as deer usually, but they, like, they, they call them horse. Like, they... Like, oh, yeah, Clydesdale. Yeah, like they call him a huge horse, and I think that's like an important. A Clydesdale, in fact. It. Yeah, and, and Which, I can it, honestly say I think this is like the peak point of my like caring uh, for this book. <laughs> like, <laughs> at, at, at the appearance of this big ass Andalite who like defeats the whole team and, you know, has him at a standstill. Because uh, uh, it's just Tobias, Marco, and X, and he's already taken down. Uh, Tobias, Marco's no sh- uh, chance for him in human, and even Axe is no uh, challenge for him as well. And the dude's name is Gefinilin, all right? And it sounds way too close to uh, comedian Jim Gaffigan, which is all I can think of. Oh, I have his autograph. I think, I think Gefinilin is like a really badass like fantasy name. Like this, this is an Andalite who you would... Uh, who'd be at home, like, painted on the side of, like, an 80s van. Uh, <laughs> Gafinolin. Yeah. Uh, his, yeah. his full name is pretty great, too. Gafinolin Estrif Vlad. Like, uh, he sounds like a badass. Yeah, he's like Vlad the Impaler. Well, he definitely is a badass because he's a fighter pilot and just uh, uh, a war prince of some sort. Actually, here's another Seropedia uh, fact for you. Um uh, Axe refers to Gefinilin as a commander on page 27, but then later refers to him as a war prince on page 54. 
Um, the more he... you know. That's, that's weird because he, he goes under Jake at some point. The spoilers for later. But uh, he goes under Jake at some point and says, you know, I'll respect your prince. Where it's clearly been stated in previous books that princes don't report to other princes. Sure, yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of there's a lot of inconsistencies and, and just wrong things in this book. This this uh, was I think the biggest inconsistency is the fact that uh aliens uh have not shown up uh, on this planet and you know in this book they're claiming that unsolved mysteries is recording all these aliens. I don't that was a lame attempt at a joke. <laughs> another thing, another thing, just to point out, since we're ragging on it already. Uh, at one point, Gafinilin refers to his uh, uh, Andalite, you know, fighter ship as a plane. <laughs> it's just, it's yeah, when our, I mean, you when our see planes that, went You kind of have like an Andalite trying to merge with human culture, and I, you know, I, that's the best. I don't think that was the author's intent. I think it was a slip of the tongue. There's, I think a lot of there's, there's a lot errors. of things in here that are very much like the ghostwriter cranked this one out quick and they had to really I think this was a very like this book was an afterthought after I think it feels like an afterthought Well okay okay I want to I, I want to fight back against that a little bit Do I actually thought this was a a better paced book than some of the ghostwritten mm. ones we've gotten I thought parts of it were pretty thoughtful um, as far as like how the story was moving mm-hmm. and what they were pausing for um, as far as like how well the book was written, this isn't Kay Applegate material. It's not Michael Grant material, but I don't think it was badly written. I don't think it went down to the lows that we've seen already in some of the ghostwritten books. Okay. I, I thought it was pretty middle of the road, maybe even a little higher than middle of the road, just like writing as far as like at a technical level. Well, uh-huh. like uh, what I want to like, I actually agree with you when I say that I think this was heavily edited after the fact. I think more in that this person actually. I think the ghostwriter put in more effort than the other people did, but in doing so, they didn't have either the time or, like, the ability to get to all those little details. And I think – because the hastily – the parts for me that are hastily added are, like, continuity-like additions and stuff. So I Mm -hmm. think this one was written with someone who didn't have – as a, a, a extensive and anamorphs knowledge, and because they worked a little longer on this book, and probably worked more on their own than from the guideline that they got, and had to then have to ha- hastily add some of it after the fact. Yeah, if you look at the book, like um, where they went to like the meatpacking mm-hmm. uh, factory, and it was all you know, you could tell it was pushing its narrative mm-hmm. um, on like veganism or, or you know um, just meat is murder or whatever mm-hmm. uh this one has a similar kind of message mm-hmm. but i thought i thought the author did a good job of like not shoving it down your throat completely like it's it's very much there it's also it's a less like hitting you over the head with it it's like a less controversial issue i think to be like hey he's still a person like he's... don't make fun of the disabled yeah we're not reaching here <laughs> yeah <laughs> no the the message is pretty pretty clear as far as these things go it's weird that marco's the one that keeps harping on it like that uh, Again, I haven't fully reread all of these books, but I don't remember Marco being as big a crusader for the downtrodden. <laughs> Again, I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, just jerk this writer off. But um, I thought that was really well done. The fact that Rachel calls him out at one point. Rachel Cassie, think about him, Cassie uh, calls him out at one point, saying like, "You called somebody a vegetable the other day." Yeah, um, Rachel said so, like, that. And, like, and, that's, and Marco I think added. that's very. I think that's very much his personality. Like he'll make the joke that'll make somebody laugh, even if it's like over the line. But when he, when it's actually when it matters, he's mm-hmm. a good guy. 
or just even the fact that like it, it really speaks, I think, to how well these characters are handled. That it's like everyone like has that moment of not always aligning with their own viewpoints, right? Like, you know, you make an off-color joke, but it's a topic that you normally wouldn't agree on that with. It's a very human thing. And so I think you're right. It's a great moment with Marco where it's like, you did this insult and it goes, yeah, okay, I did make that joke, but this is a different scenario. And just because I made that joke doesn't mean that I hold this viewpoint. I'll I'll, I'll go a little higher than that. I'll go, I'll make a bold statement. We're going to have to find of this all, author and strip him off. <laughs> of all the um, ghostwriters that we've read so far. I think this ghostwriter nails each and every character better than any other ghostwriter. Like there even though a lot of some of the animals don't have as much to do in this book as the other ones, when they pop up, like they all pop up at certain points and are like important for a moment. Uh when they do pop up, I think they're interesting and much closer to their like original intent of their character, but like an evolved version of that than any other author we've hit so far, even some of the K. Applegate ones. I, I agree. That's, that's my bold statement for the podcast. I agree with that in the sense, like, very much with the fact that I think the strength is that they don't focus too much on the other Animorphs. Like, they don't try to bring them up too much. They're like, this is a Marco book. Focus on Marco. And it's his interactions with the other characters that are so strong and they feel so Marco. It's because, like you said, uh, him getting called out on the insult, his little argument with Jake, or, like, his, like, discussion with Jake... And saying, like, you know, you can't do that. Like, you shouldn't go back there and all that stuff. Like, well, it's- just just to, just to get into a little more what I was talking about, like, when Jake pops up, when he's important, he's kind of in the battle. Mm-hmm. Uh, you hear a little more from him, and he's kind of making a decision, and then new facts come up of where, like, what the hork are doing or whatever, and he's he hesitates to make that split-second decision that'll probably get them hurt, mm-hmm. but he makes it, like, indecisively, and then, like plows into it and says like no this is what we got to do like it was very much jake and like but like a unsure jake who has to make the right decision Mm -hmm. and then when cassie pops up she's like defensive of jake but not pushing it Mm -hmm. and like it's just again i think i think the author was very thoughtful with these characters so thus starts the whole plot of the book that i don't know to me is where i i began to lose a little bit of interest i don't know uh with this Myrtle, them, them looking for Myrtle. It's because they follow Gefinolin off to his, his little house and spy on him for a bit and see that he's uh, acquired a human and he's apparently living in, you know, suburbia. Uh, he, he's got himself a nice uh, defended via uh, force field home, which they find huh. out in a little bit. How long do you think it took him to figure out how, like, mortgages work and to buy this house and make sure he could get the zoning permits to put in his shield and everything? <laughs> sure. I wonder how much of that uh, information he gained. I, I was really hoping they'd go into detail on, you know, what human whose life he apparently stole um, and, I, and identity he took. Like, I think you guys are forgetting the series so far. We've seen Axe, who is basically a kid in Andalite culture, you know, like hack government websites and stuff. I'm sure this guy just found a computer and created a life. Actually, know? actually, given how like ruthless he seems, I think he just killed a guy after he took his morph and then took his life. That could be. That could be the case. He like researched, you know, which human lived in the perfect house and was a single adult male, and uh, just took him. <laughs> Either way. It's definitely possible. Either way. It, it was kind of surprising. Like, okay, uh, this dude apparently has been here since 
the dome ship crashed, you know, back, you know, book four when, when Axe joined the team since then. And we're only just now hearing about him and seeing him. Like, and his tastefully well, decorated house. Well, I think that's something that, I mean, I think Animorphs could go through all day long, and I don't think it's unrealistic. It's the fact that we've been in one city this whole time, and, and yeah, it's like the the single point where the Yurks, for some reason, are really focusing on their invasion. Uh, but there's a whole big wide world out there, and there's been multiple space battles. Uh, there, there could be a number of other aliens living on Earth, and we would never cross paths with them. Did yeah, they but establish this is a different city? I don't think they They, did. they said this is like this uh, one of the suburbs. Okay. So it, it kind of makes it seem like, like Jake and them live in some pretty nice houses, but like maybe it's an older development, and like this is the nice part of town. Yeah, because they go like, again, it reads like an HGTV ad in that they keep talking about like how tastefully decorated the house mm. is, and it has a nice kitchen and everything. Well, this it, is probably it where looks David perfect. Lived. Like it's too perfect. Yeah, I guess that's why they're describing it. But I was just, for me, I was like, is this, does this woman work as a copywriter for like <laughs> show homes or something? Like, what's going on? I think Marco well, even I, points out a problem to him is like, yeah, the place is too neat. You know, there's no dishes or anything. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it's too crazy that they have not run into this guy yet or, or even this part of town. I mean, I live in Dallas now and it's crazy to me just how expansive the, the county lines are and the city lines. Yeah, like, but we know that you know. we know that he is trying to acquire, and I guess it's a spoiler for the rest of the book. He's he's trying to get another morph capable adult and delight body to trade Divisor Three. Um, so why wouldn't he have been? Uh, well, looking for the the Andalite bandits earlier. Does the book ever go into a timeline like how recently Myrtle was taken? I don't know that it does. He only mentions that you know Myrtle is captive, uh, uh, and and Visitor Three wants a trade, knowing See, that I, neither of them are are worthy host bodies. I assume Myrtle was captured in at the same time that they were captured on film, and that that was whatever. Like they were running from Visitor Three or something when they, the film got recorded. Yeah. So let's break this down. So if Myrtle was captured on film feeding in some meadow or something, um, and it aired this is in the nineties, so it probably wasn't a rerun uh, of two thousand. It was in two thousand, I'll have you Sorry. Know. Uh anyway, this is television that uh Unsolved Mysteries is probably it's probably a recent episode. You know, they've already handled all the kidnappings and aliens and stuff. Now they're landing on Andalites and Meadows. Yeah. Um Let's say this is a live broad or not a live broadcast, but this is a new episode. So maybe like three weeks prior, uh, NBC paid for the footage and then, you know, started putting this episode together they and then aired it. Cranked them out pretty quick. It would probably be like a couple of months lead up. Let's, they do assume, a lot of, let's assume Myrtle was probably kidnapped like a month or two prior to this yeah. uh, this meeting. <laughs> sure. So that's that's a realistic timeline for broadcasting and finding the Animorphs. Sure, it's, it's just crazy that, you know, Gefinilin and Myrtle have been chilling out, you know, relatively close to the team and all that they do, and never once had they gone and investigated or by some other major coincidence but encountered that's them. what I'm talking about with the whole Dallas analogy. Like, if somebody in Mesquite was specifically looking for me, like, technically they're kind of still in Dallas, but that's an hour away. <laughs> you know, that's, that's not nearby. You are not an alien. As far as I know. 
There's a nothing proven for or against. <laughs> well, this kicks off the whole plot of like, hey, let's uh, let's get a couple more story updates from Gefinilin, and let's also keep our feelers out on Myrtle, and and that's that's really what happens here for the next. <laughs> Like half of the book, three quarters of the book. I was a little disappointed that Marco is constantly chiming on everybody else about how they go off on their own missions, their own special interests, and he spends the entire book doing his own thing. Oh, that's totally realistic. You know he's all about protecting Jake, and he demonstrates that again and again in this book with him not wanting Jake to meet with Gefinilin. He wants to postpone that as long as possible, and he's very right. Gratefully so. I mean, when they do eventually meet up, Gefinilin pulls a shredder on Jake. So, um, it makes sense. <laughs> you all are skipping the most important scene in this book, and that is the Illispar route. Oh, has that happened yet? Uh, that happens when they go into the greenhouse, because Axe is with them, isn't it? Isn't it the first meeting? Well, yeah, well, first meeting with Marco and Axe. And- yeah. Okay, sure. So they, they've gone to uh, uh, investigate him, and they see him in his house, and now they're like actually going to include Jake and them in the pl- uh, with the plan. So the whole team meets up for the first time in the book, and uh, Marco Axe and Tobias are, of course, going to be the team sent back in to check on him. Uh, and this is when Marco, uh, you know, encounters the force field, which really uh, kicks the crap out of him and is taken hostage. Um and we have Axe show up for backup. Tobias is flying around. And um, this is when they actually get to talk a little bit more to Gefinilin. And, and they end up going in for a discussion. And here's where they enjoy the Ilsapar root. Yeah. What do you think Ilsapar root tastes like? Like ginger, maybe? Or like. Yeah, I was thinking something like that. But, you know, it's probably got a little kick to it. Like that, like uh, what's cap- that, what's that horrible, horrible drink? The LaCroix stuff or something? Oh, LaCroix. Whatever it is. Is it pronounced LaCroix? Really? Oh, I think in America it's pronounced LaCroix. But in French, LaCroix, it just, it just means cross. So I, when people were calling it like LaCroix, they, I had no idea what they were talking about. But it's oh, LaCroix. Oh, there you go. That's or really get, the more you know. Uh, yeah, no, sparkling water is for the devil, is all I'm saying. <laughs> I, I enjoy I, a good ginger ale from time to time, especially if my tummy's aching. Yeah, ginger yeah, ale so, is not sparkling water. So like an organic ginger ale. I don't know if you've ever had one, but, but uh, it, they usually do have that ginger kick to them. It, it also, apparently, uh, I think he mentions it has like minor psychedelic or drug-like effects. I think it's on on par with like a, yeah, like an alcohol. (laughs) No, no, no. He specifically says it's like your earth coffee. It was like caffeine. I still think that's to to an andalite is, yeah, yeah, it's it's like a high, like a not quite on par with our, you know, being drunk. No, I, but. I think I think it was pretty specific about being pretty mild. I think they they maybe it was something a little more uh, strong, and then Kay Applegate was like, "Hey, now let's let's." Uh, I I was down. really hoping when he was like, "Oh, it's the Ilsapar root." That was like something they were gonna chop up and then smoke, but oh. here it turns into a drinkable. <laughs> so. Just the axe with a big doobie in his hoof, <laughs> like. <laughs> Why his hoof? He's got hands. <laughs> well, because oh wait, yeah, you're mouth, right. He's right? got. Yeah. Oh god, I didn't even think about that. Where would they? Where would an andalite smoke from? Would it? Would he oh. do it on his hoofs? This this is or what? I guess it would be through his nose slits. Yeah, you could do it that way. 
Or maybe he just no, morphed into something would, that can smoke. No, they would they would step on it, crush it up, and take it up through their hooves. Well, yes, but if it I guess smoke, they would, we're talking about they were smoking it. They wouldn't. They wouldn't have to add fire to it necessarily. I don't think they could absorb yeah, it but just by eating it. See, I always like. I thought Ilsapar root would taste like super alien. Like it would be like a giant fruit gusher, like this weird, squishy, like super strong tasting thing. Maybe I just wanted fruit gushers at the time. I don't know. That's probably it's it's very hard as a writer. It's very hard to describe flavors. (laughs) Oh yeah, like Like, original and also ways that just make sense. Yeah. Uh, Nobody else drinks it, unfortunately. So you know, it would have been great if like Marco took a sip and I don't know, had like a like four hour boner or something. And of course, because it's anamorphs and axes involved, they have to make the like little uh, allusion to cinnamon buns. It's like we get it; it was a fun scene, guys. But they just bring up they bring up cinnamon buns again when he's talking about the Ilsapar root. He says something like, "Oh, this is I haven't seen him lit, like light up this excitement since he found cinnamon buns in the mall." Yeah, well, you got to think, you know, alien on a, a foreign planet. Like, probably there were a <laughs> lot of things from his homeworld that he was just resigned to, like never seeing it again and to to get to experience something from home world and i'm you know he probably wasn't even that big into ilsapar root like maybe he had a cup or two or whatever but like is it like whey protein is it something only like big muscling and a light seat maybe maybe that's how uh gefinolin's so jacked even with his uh spoiler disease yeah his weird space arthritis <laughs> Wait, so you're saying it was like degenerative uh, was bone-itis like <laughs> yeah right I don't yeah it, it, well it says it helps with it so you're right it would have to have some kind of like it'd be an upper for sure <laughs> yeah it's whatever it is I, I imagine it's not like a tasty snack as so much as it is like just I think you're right it's just something familiar that like old people. This is something I imagine like the Andalite equivalents of old people in rocking chairs like chew on outside of space cracker barrels. <laughs> they don't even they don't even liquefy it. They just chew on the actual. Yeah. Roof. And they're like it's better this way. <laughs> really heals the tendons. Uh, and this is also when Gefinolin kind of drops his whole like backstory officially. How about um, he and Myrtle were fighter pilots? Uh, you know with this. Uh, dome ship fight that happened uh, kind of at the start of the series, the same one that Axe came out of. Because Axe uh, recognizes them. He, like, knows their names. Oh, yeah, yeah. They all know each other, relatively. If, if both of you don't mind, I would like to uh, stage a reading of the book. Oh, please do, please do. Oh, my God, I've been waiting for one of us to on dramatic page eighty. On page 80, uh, I'll start from the midsection of the page. Yes, Tobias. Yes, he does, Axe said excitedly. Ilsapar root. Why didn't I see it before? I shook my head. See what? Gefinolin offered me Ilsapar root, Axe explained. It's a, it is a mild intoxicant, taken in a manner somewhat like humans take tea or coffee each morning. Is that as far as you want to go? Yeah, it's compared to tea. No, no, that's, no, no, no. It's pretty um, mild. That's, that's, that's the... Uh... How oh, it's taken. It's taken in yeah. a manner like tea or coffee. So it's drinking. That's all he's saying. Is it's it's drinking like uh, you drink. See, I didn't think tea. it was drank. For me, what that means is that is that it is just like when he says taken as it I, I took it to mean like time wise. Like it's just something that if you're into it, you do in the morning when you get up. Like it's what helps you get up. 
But oh, that, so it, the focus being on the each morning part of yeah. It says in in great quantities, it eases the pain of Sula's disease. So you, I mean, if you took a ton of caffeine, you could kill yourself. Yeah, it, I still I still think it's similar to something like that. See, I, I I think I think it's eaten. I don't think it's drank, but I think. What it is is it's one of those things like because if you if you're not used to caffeine and you have like a big like you've I had my first I didn't drink any caffeine until I was like 18 and I had my first Monster Energy drink and I was about to lose my mind off of wow. one yeah did you die no but see like the other day I drank four Red Bulls in a row and took a nap so it I think if <laughs> like, it's something if this is something you're not used to uh, then it's probably much stronger. Uh, and but like you kind of get you build up a tolerance and so it's like your morning coffee right like coffee would if you've never had coffee it'll kick you in the butt but if you're used to it every morning then you need more and more and it's just something that's like you don't feel normal till you have it okay so yeah they're they're definitely like chewing this stuff then <laughs> I just for some reason imagine them with like a mug a big mug of like frothy Ilsapar root and then they somehow held it down to their <laughs> hooves and drank why I bet there's some craft Ilsapar brewers who are turning this into a stronger version of itself or something. Oh, and you sell it more, like, there'll be, like, a weird cat that eats it and poops it out, and that's the best Ilsapar. Like, it costs, like, a whole bunch. It's it's yeah. sold by Andalites in flannel with, like, berets and, and uh, scarves. I feel personally attacked. I'm wearing a beret right now. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's purple. Uh, I, I think It's your podcasting beret. Exactly. I think uh, the best, like... Ilisapar route that you're gonna get is you gotta make sure it's fair trade, right? Like you have to make sure you're getting that fair trade Ilisapar, so that the Ilisapar farmers are getting like you know their actual farm's value. Yeah, I, I personally only take cage-free Ilisapar route. Now this guy is growing his own, so who even knows what the legality uh, issues involved yeah. are? I mean, if you know you can even grow in home, how many plants is is allowed? Like legally speaking, before it becomes like intent to distribute. Because this guy is certainly running an operation, what would be considered an operation. But it's only for personal medicinal use. He has a card. Uh, but he is intent to share because he's got a buddy. And uh, This is the podcast with, with the where our fans <laughs> believe that we're on every drug under the sun. With, with the introduction of Axe, now he has a, a third uh, person intent to consume and possibly And sell. a minor. Minors at that, too. So who knows? I mean, oh, man. I don't like this guy anymore. I think he's up to something. <laughs> he's peddling for sure. Uh, okay, so he's he's given his whole backstory. He's like, okay, come into my house, whatever. I'm going to tell you my stuff. I don't care about you and your things. Uh, I just want to meet with your leader, one, uh, and I want to find my buddy. Okay, that's that's it. And they're like, okay, okay, respect. We understand. And Marco's like, yo, I'm going to acquire this bee for later use because I'm totally coming back to spy on this guy. He's shady as F. Uh, and, and, you know, again, it, it just falls back into this uh, routine of like, okay, we're going to go away for another scene and then come back and check in again for the next update with this character. Well, I like what I like about his character is I actually think there's like a really good reason why he's just so willing to tell them the backstory is because just as, you know, he, he explains, like, he hasn't seen, aside from Mr. 3, any other Andalites. And also he's excited because, hey, you know, I get to steal this, you know, morph because he wants that real bad. But, I, like, I like to think a part of it is 
you know, he's been so starved. Like, this is such a bad situation to begin with that he's in. He's just starved for anyone who will understand it. Because he certainly, you know, he has this job at a lab in his human morph, but he can't be like, you know, me and my Vekul mate. Like, we're, oh, man, we're on the run from Mr. 3, and it's a whole thing, and I got space arthritis, and they're a Vekul, or Vekul, whatever I called it. Did we accurately explain what the the Vekul is? Yeah, I, well, I think we got at it with cripple, but it just means like you're you're just you're hurt or disfigured in some way. Well, we didn't it. discuss the the reason why uh, he couldn't morph either. He has an actual allergen to the morphing technology, which I don't know if uh, was, has come up at any other point in the series. I was going to ask if that had come up because that was such a weird like oh. Again, I think that's another one of the things where I think the Ghost Rider did a good job, but they didn't realize that that was a detail. Like oh. You know, this could solve it. So they had to go in after the fact and be like, oh, no, he's allergic to the morph. That's why. Yeah, learning that there are Andalites that just straight up aren't even compatible with morph technology. Because I, you know, kid reader, um, if one Andalite can morph, you just assume they all can for some reason. Mm -hmm. Um, So hearing that there was one that, I mean, he is like such a sub-Andalite, if you think about it. He's lost his tail and never had morphing ability. You're sounding like, like Axe right now. <laughs> he's, he's such a lower <laughs> species, comparatively speaking. Um, he, he can't compete with, you know, the regular crowd. Uh, so I thought, man, he'd be such a cool recurring character to use in, in the book, you know, kind of prove his worth, so to speak, uh, helping out the team from here and on spoilers, out. Spoilers, they set that up a little bit at the end, but it doesn't come to fruition at any point, does it? Or maybe no. in a future book? I didn't think it did. <laughs> no, both uh, both Myrtle and Gefinilin are referenced about one or two times a piece from here on out. Never make a reappearance, unfortunately. What would be great, what would be great, is if in a future continuation of Animorphs, uh, you see Gefinilin come back and oh, he, he survived he the disease. Oh, he ain't coming back. No, 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 he survived the disease, and Myrtle died eventually. Uh, but Gefinlin survived the disease, but it crippled him. Uh-huh. And so then the the pages are turned. So now See, he has to be a Veckel. In, instead mm-hmm. of like an allergy, I was hoping it would be something like uh, they were like somehow morally opposed to morphing technology, and so now it would be like this like weird dichotomy where it's like there's <laughs> it's a solution. conscientious objector. <laughs> well, like because then you could have the fact that like he's a Veckel now, right? Like he can't. He can't do this, and he could solve it by morphing easily, but he chooses not to because, like, he's so strongly opposed to the morphing technology that he would rather live as a Vicol than... Well, one, like, one thing the, the series has never gotten into is who distributes this power, this this military, yeah, they, you know, weaponized. They, they, just, they talk about being younger mm-hmm. and getting it, but what if, like, his parents were part of, like, some kind of religion that's mm-hmm. like, we don't believe in morphing technology, so our son, we're not going to sign the permission slip for him to get it. <laughs> there's so, yeah, slip. there's a lot of different routes they could have gone down and explored. Um, definitely something we like to point out. We believe, we believe that morphing technology causes autism. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I want that book. And the light Jenny McCarthy is out here telling us about... <laughs> <laughs> about listen to this doctor's report. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm a I'm a doctor. <laughs> it's just it's Visser three, and he's like telling people. Look, I'm I'm just like <laughs> you. I hoofed out my scoop one hoof at a time. <laughs> I like me a good bout of Ilsaparu in the morning, just like the rest of y'all. Really? I mean, I don't generally take my Ilsapar root before noon, but you know, 
No, like it is a holiday. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, what's going on in the book again now? Oh boy, this is this is the part where they meet up again back at the mall because it's another transitionary scene where Marco is like, "Okay, we got to keep Jake from meeting uh, crazy old Gothinolin." For now. God, I wish I lived in the heyday of the mall. Like, just reading <laughs> these books, just as a kid, I was like, I can't wait to get older and I'll get to hang out at the mall all the time. And the malls suck now. Oh, God, yeah. I used to be such a mall rat. Yeah, I remember watching mall rats and being like, this is so true to my life. Oh, man. <laughs> I, w- I think I was two years old when mall rats came out. Ooh. Oh, fun. <laughs> well, like I said, uh, because Marco, again, wants to go back and snoop on, you know, Gaffy. Uh, this time Rachel's in on the plan because she's like basically bullies him into taking her. Oh, I want to talk about this real quick. Yeah. Um, I thought this was excellent. This the way that Rachel like steps up and is like, if you're going to go on a mission, I'm coming with like this. You don't see a lot of the Marco and Rachel team up. Like, it happens in, uh, like, a, a Mega Wars, that book that we're about to get to. Um, and, you know, a couple rare instances. But I thought this was another, like, nailing of the character. It's almost like you have a scene where, like, Marco's like, man, I got to break into this house, but I don't know if I can do it by myself. And then Rachel steps out of the shadows. <laughs> well, you're not going to be alone. Well, uh, well, I, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I, well, I was just going to say that um, it's like... I don't think this this definitely cemented the my thought that uh, they're not very good friends, though. You know, Marco even just talks, just mentions like, I'll be covering your behind. And she like flat out kicks him in the shin for it. You know, <laughs> like she don't, yeah, she don't take shit from it's him. It's a dynamic that that you have. I mean, this this is, I think, very realistic to friend groups. Sometimes you have like people who are good friends with another friend. And maybe you have, like, a back and forth. Like, I almost feel like I have this with my sister-in-law a little bit. Like, obviously, we like each other and we hang out and it's cool or whatever. But for the most part, we just have, like, this sarcastic rapport. It's not it's not really, like, a personal relationship or anything. It's just, like, this joke we have ongoing. And that's kind of what, like, Marco and Rachel have. It's no, like, I get that. But most, of her, most of her stuff is physically hitting him or attacking him. <laughs> Yeah, like they honestly don't really like each other, but they they keep the peace and have this. Oh, like, there's back and so forth much rapport. sexual tension there. All I the fans it, can attest. I think what it is, and I think you're hitting on it with that friend group. It's not that they don't like each other; they don't dislike each other. They just they would not interact outside of this yeah. animorph situation, and they've they've found a dynamic wow. that lets them. Like really you say that, and yeah. then Megamorphs Five literally puts that to spec <sighs> yeah. and uh, changes that up. Like, but I, I think it's interesting because you're right. Like, we all—at least I know I do. I have I have in friend groups like a friend who I'm perfectly willing to hang out with them when I'm in this group, and I'm nothing against them. But it would be kind of awkward just hanging out with them on their own, uh, especially if we were going to go turn into bees. So, like, I think you're right. Like, it's a very good. It's a, nice to see the dynamic of they're not just like six bosom buddies. You know, all running around, like having fun and adventures. Like, you know, there's like there's tensions and there's like different levels of comfortable everyone feels with each other. And again, I think handled by a lesser author uh, that could have. I think that's a that's a really subtle uh, relationship to put to page. It is Um, like that's that's what I'm saying is like, I think that that's why there's weird little like lore mistakes is because they were crafting this one a little like. I don't want to say too hard on the other aspects. It's just that that's clearly where the time went is 
working the, the on plot, the dynamic. Yeah, the plot and the continuity were a background to this author actually wanting to write like kind of a character piece. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and that's probably why this next little scene bit didn't really work for me in my mind, because Marco and Rachel go back to Snoop in his house, and, you know, you get the bee scene where... There's a little bit of a, a animal instinct kind of takeover, but Marco kind of gets it under control pretty quick, and they don't really find anything of interest in his house. Nothing's there. Um, it, it doesn't really amount to much. And then basically they just go back empty-handed, and uh, this is when Axe points out, you know, how Ilsaparrud is for treating the uh, Sula's space disease. <laughs> yeah, space arthritis, Sula's disease, um, and then that, you know that that is just an, an, another element that's introduced into the mix. And you're left wondering who has it. Is it Gefinolin or is it Myrtle? And does it matter? Not really. So uh, I want to throw out real quick. Um, actually where I thought this was going when I read this part of the book was I thought that Myrtle had this disease and he had morphed. Exactly. His friend. Exactly. I had the yeah. exact same thought that, that we were, they were going with. Like I thought the that, whole time. I thought it was going to be, I thought it was going to be super dark. And that he, like, killed his friend and morphed him or something like that. No, or maybe his friend just died I, and he morphed him. I had the exact same thought, and that's why it was, you know, when he shows his home thing, because he, when he, he shows his main form as a vacuole, like, I thought that was either some sort of trap to, like, get someone out, like, to find other people, like he did it on purpose or something. But I definitely thought that he had done that. Like, I was exactly with you. Huh. Well, I, I don't know. I, I mean, it seemed like that scene was pretty uh, uh, skippable. Anyway, uh, where are we at in this fucking thing? See, like, this is where they this is where they start. Uh, the new term is blowing up the buffalo because they got to move things along, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, they're they're going back once again to check on Gafinolin and. Uh, this time I think they're they're all hanging out as bees. Oh, I think we even skipped over the the freaking uh, like uh, what, what's it called? Whatever insect it was that uh, Marco dealt with in Bee Morph. Yeah, there's a there's a, a snatcher fly or something like that that yeah. that kills bees apparently. But we we get a nice little. I thought this was a good transition of like after Marco checks out the house and he goes back again. You you have him going back to Jake and the, all of them. And telling them what they saw and what happened and uh, this updated status on what is Gefinolin's plan or who he is or what's he lying about. Uh, I thought it was nice that they they skipped over all the, like, acquiring B-morphs and all this stuff that would have been fluff and we wouldn't have cared about uh, without it feeling super rushed. Because they already did it with Marco. Like, we see him take it and so they're just like, okay, getting a B isn't going to be the biggest thing. My thing with B-morph is up until... Like, it happens. I thought for sure... Like, I thought they were forgetting Ant Morph. Like, did they not remember the last time something like this happened? And I still think it's pretty hand-wavy that they're like, oh, well, bees serve the queen, so yeah. they have a more... they ha- Like, it's easier to control. That, that- See, I like I liked that analogy. They, they talk about it being like communism. It's like a comrade. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, that's right. A, There's a weird yeah, reference. They, <laughs> it's... it's well, they, Yeah. <laughs> for me, it's still, like, again, it's, I think... It's another, like, lore tweak that they had to put in the last minute was, like, 
maybe this author wasn't didn't remember exactly how traumatic Ant Morph was saying because they just keep going B B B and then right at the end they're like oh yeah Ant Morph bad time is this gonna be okay I think it works out like I think it's interesting where he talks about like learning the dance and mm-hmm. following like the way bees move being very different than something he's used to. I think well, it's handled very well. It's just that yeah, the, the ant morph he, thing was a little odd. He at least did a pretty good job of explaining, like, I, I heard that these are hive mind things like ants, so I'm going to go mm-hmm. do a little bit of research. Mm-hmm. He specifically mentions looking up the uh, things. I wish they had, like, tested it out in his bedroom again. I don't think they do enough of those, like, test morph scenes. Um, do you think you he know, was, uh, yeah. We've had entire discussions on how they should just be like practicing shit in their spare time and oh yeah, and like, using uh, figuring out ways to like adapt and and you know push the uh, morphing power even further. Well, yeah, I mean if, if if you look back to what they know about morphing and and yeah, you gotta think these kids are probably leading pretty stressful lives. They probably don't have a lot of free time to fool around or try things but once you find out that cassie for some reason is a better morpher than the rest of them and if i was an anamorph i'd be like okay well how far can we push this can we extend the time limit can we what other ways can we be better morphers than you know normal and especially like when he talks about doing research for ant morph or or for b morph because of ant morph for me it would be like so you would go b morph and see if you could come back like away from the hive like away from where you're gonna lose your mind it's, I, I think they handled it well, but I do think it was, like, for me, it just stuck out as, like, a last-minute thing. But again, I, like, I agree with you. I think this go is really good, and they incorporated that note well, just that they had to do it quickly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I can see that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, right, so, okay, I, I think the probably my favorite thing about this book, or the best thing, is this next scene where Jake is finally going to meet with Gefinolin, and his whole encounter with him, you know, as as a leader, as prince of, of these Animorphs, uh, was just totally badass. It was like a good, refreshing Jake as leader, like totally in control, even though he's taking on this big-ass Andalite. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just, just badass. staring him down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, like, Gefinolin, like, he, at first he's a little skeptical, but he, he seems to go with it pretty quickly. Which I think is interesting. It's like a parallel with where Axe starts calling him his prince so quickly. It's it doesn't really matter the species. Like it, it's a continuation of like, well, Axe didn't really care that he was a human so much. It was just his role. And Gefinolin kind of does the same thing. He's like, okay, oh, this is your prince. Weird, but all right, like prince. Okay, there's something something I like about this book and something I don't like about this book right here. Uh, I do like that we get a nice callback to the last couple times Axes encountered Andalites in the sense that he instantly shows his respect and trust <laughs> of of Jake by immediately calling him his prince. He's not embarrassed about it anymore. Mm-hmm. He's just, this is my prince. And it, to the point where it, you know, confuses and uh, tricks mm-hmm. uh, Gefinolin. Uh, one thing I don't like about this book is that they really set something up here that never pays off in the fact that Gefinolin could turn on them in a second mm-hmm. if it helps Myrtle. Yeah. And they, they keep coming back to it. They keep mentioning it. And I really think it, I really thought it was going to be this big turn on they they finally like maybe let their guard down and trust them and then he turns them over to visitor three or, or tries to or something yeah they definitely they, ran they never... out of time here to do anything interesting like that <laughs> yeah well that's where i thought the reveal was going to come that he was myrtle is because he was kept talking about how much he has to protect myrtle to try to throw them off and that's why he didn't yeah. like kill them instantly or immediately sell them out is because he was like okay like i don't i just want to live my weird little nothlet life uh as this other friend like but no like they you're right like it just it, 
they keep bringing up like, oh man, we're screwed if this guy does anything. Also, oh, good thing it would have been a really, it would have been a really interesting book. Would have really pushed my rating through the ceiling if, um, if you had had Marco calling Axe out on this, you know, uh, word choices and the way he's treating, you know, someone who's disabled or something, and it had turned out that this was Myrtle. And he's just like actually like gone crazy in isolation, <laughs> and he was like mentally handicapped through like PTSD and uh, you know like just had lost his mind. That would have been a nice play on the whole. <laughs> now you're now you're uh, reading way too much into it and attributing. I'm not all reading into it. I'm, that I'm saying that it. That I'm it not. Isn't. I'm not reading into it. I'm not saying anything that it, they did. I'm saying they could have done. Your that fantasy is all for naught, and it will never happen. Girls, girls, <laughs> you're both pretty. <laughs> It could have been interesting. I'm not saying they actually achieved that. That's what I'm saying. Like, I, I didn't like that there was no well, payoff. Well, okay, this is, the, yeah, this is like the big twist of the book, I guess you would say, because, uh, you know, he still thinks that Jake is an Andalite in disguise, and, of course, in their encounter, Jake, you know, comes clear that I am a human. Mm-hmm. And when Gefinolin learns he doesn't have this adult, you know, desirable body for to trade um, the Irks, uh, he's he's got to basically come clean with with Jake and the team, and uh, yeah, this is where he breaks down. Is like, okay, they've got Myrtle. It was all to save him. I need your help, and of course, our team, being who they are, agrees to help him. Uh, yeah, and, and, and this and, leads to but it doesn't really the, do the big fight scene in the book. Much else. Yeah. They they again go head out to the forest to track him down once more. Um, they they find him, you know, amongst the controllers, as it would be, um, and he's in, in like a, truck. a train yard, right? Like, it's yeah, just... oh, the train graveyard. Sure, there's a there's a well, new scene that they're pulling up for this. This does add this does add a little bit to uh, you know hashtag more floor. Um, this does add a little bit to it. In the oh sense no, that we thought find speak out... lore. Thought speak lore. Well, yeah, because uh, yeah, yeah, we find yeah. out that Gefinolin and Myrtle have like super thought speak. Yeah, well, they've got this such a close relationship that they it's it's increased the range of their thought speak only with each other. I think that's both it like makes sense within universe and uh, is a cool addition um, to hashtag thought speak lore. Yeah, <laughs> like, literally. Well, because we already get like a little bit of morph lore in that like some people can be allergic to morphing, which is bizarre. Yeah, so there's exactly. a lot of things in there. That if it wasn't for the fact that, like, Andalites are aliens, like, a lot of us would be like, what? Like, what do you mean someone's allergic to morph? And they never explain it. Or they they, they have this increased range of thought speak, and they kind of only do it here. But th- it still works in that, like, these kids, just by knowing Axe, do not know everything about Andalite society or physiology. Because Axe is, like, if he's a kid, even he's not going to fully understand physiology when i was 12 i didn't I, I had a basic idea of how my organs worked but i didn't have like the best idea so i well, also I, I mean we 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 he becomes you know a crazy war prince uh <laughs> axe does and you know all this stuff or whatever from his interactions on earth and all that stuff mm-hmm. but we get the idea throughout the book series that axe is kind of a dumb andalite yeah no <laughs> definitely yeah but like 90s dumb when it was cool like yeah, like he just he just like hangs out in class, doesn't pay. He goes to the he's space like mall, the Andalite equivalent of a slacker. Mm-hmm. He's an underachiever. <laughs> uh, yeah, riding his brother's coattails, sure. Which um, works when they're like, oh yeah. By the way, like I remember in class that I was I attended once. Ilsa root's good for treating this disease. I think like 
So I do think it actually works as a good way to to be able to introduce these ideas about Andalites that we're not aware. It's like all they know is Axe, really. I mean, there's others that show up, but they're not giving them, you know, in-depth interviews. So it's kind of a cool thing that they do. I actually really like it. I think it's set up real well. Totes. Um, if you thought that's, that this book was building towards, you know, some kind of monumental climax, uh, well, in my opinion, you'd be wrong because they have their kind of fight their way to the goal sort of chapter. And uh, once Myrtle is freed, once, once Myrtle is freed from the truck, uh, he, well, he's just he's sort of over reunited. I think this is one of the bigger fights they'd ever been in. Yeah, it's a really uh, cool is, fight. Okay, well, yeah, go ahead and talk, tell me about the fight. Sell me yeah, on this waves, fight. <laughs> waves and waves of Horkbajir guarding this um, X-Men-esque, you know, moving transport uh, prison. Sick train cool. car fight where, like, Marco realizes, like, he can use his gorilla morph to, like, go around and climb on stuff. Yeah, him him jumping. I thought like I'll, I'll grant you this this parts of this fight are just you know like whatever normal fight they're fighting Horkwajir. But when Marco is jumping from train car to train car and then from car to car, uh, I thought that was like really exciting and like very descriptive and vivid. I hate to steal your thunder, but if I may steal a moment and do my own quick dramatic reading of my favorite part Whoa. of the uh, the fight. Uh, it's very presumptuous of you as a guest host, but we'll... Uh, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll kick back onto that Patreon. But, I'm all in uh, favor So <laughs> it, towards, both of those things. Towards uh, page 114, when he, he Marco is within the fight, uh, something made me glance to my right, almost over my torn shoulder. A ladder rung, built into the car, uh, train car wall. Maybe I could grasp it, swing out from it, adding force to my punches and kicks. Unless... A ladder rung is part of a ladder. Ladders lead to places where you are not. I love that feels Marco <laughs> that he's just like, oh, thing I can beat someone with. And then he's like, wait a minute. I can use this for its actual purpose. Its intended purpose, yeah. <laughs> I love that. I'm, so, I'm sorry to steal the dramatic uh, reading thunder. I, I know that was uh, damaged, but I thought that was such a very Marco part in this fight, which I agree. I think it's one of the better fights so far. Yeah. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. No, I'm I'm genuinely glad that you guys enjoyed the fight because I feel like at this point I was kind of skimming over things because I knew where this was going. Uh, but was, you know, as long as they're still doing things, because realistically there are one or two of these big fight scenes per book, so mm -hmm. to keep it different and original and exciting every time is I feel like already becoming somewhat of a chore. Mm -hmm. uh, it it is definitely a new uh, like battleground area for them. Uh, that if it were a video game would allow some sweet combos, I'm sure. It feels very video gamey. That's what I thought the whole time, is this is very much like you're on a timer and you have to kill as many waves as possible. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, my description still remains true in that they save Myrtle, and he's like, sweet, we're reunited, besties for life, and then ends. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the last yeah. you'll see of us. Um, besides this cool stinger scene of... Uh, Marco coming to visit Myrtle. And that's really it. That's, I mean, Why that's don't you tell us about it, Mitch? That's Marco later comes to visit Myrtle in his suburban home. I thought this was a cool send-off where, where you had him just thought speaking you know, through the wall or whatever to him uh, while he's in the garden. And you have, a, you have a nice little thing where he's like, 
hey, you know, after uh, Kefinolin, you know, after he passes away, um, if you ever get lonely, just want to sit around and play video games, you know, we understand that here on Earth. And, uh, yeah, I'll, co- I'll come hang out. And you get this super long, awkward pause where it's like, oh, crap, did I just piss him off? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think I think the Stinger scene, uh, scene though, illustrates sort of the, the point Mitchell's been making in that, like, that scene sets up like, oh, snap, like, Myrtle's going to come back one day. And it doesn't. Like, there's so much, like, buildup, I think, in this book. And you're right. It doesn't really, as much as I enjoyed this book, it does not really go to anywhere of any well, substance. To be fair, like, like earlier in the book, not setting up something later in the book, I can blame the author for that. But the fact that the main author just got bored of the series, like, mm-hmm. you can't blame this ghostwriter for it. No, no, no. And, I, um, like, it's not, that's not so much a failing on the book. It's just reflective of where this book is sort of in the timeline. And it, yeah. it's just like a little like, oh, yep, that's sort of like the rest of the book. It kind of builds up and drops. Right. Without adding much to the overall continuity of Except the series. Um, yeah. well, like I said uh, earlier, that's... these guys are brought up like once or twice again, and that's it. Yeah. Uh, well, that's the other. I mean, that's book 40. The other uh, what? <laughs> whoa. Uh, the other episode. The other K Applegate, according to the book cover. Ooh. Um, Oh, so. <laughs> you're right. The other K.A. Applegate. Is that Michael ah. Grant? <laughs> yeah, true. That's, it's her sister or something. Um, okay, so, anyway, the, yeah, yeah, you're right. I wanna, I wanna, what? You want to what? Go ahead. I want, I want you to do your review first. No, that's what I was going to suggest. Is like, okay, okay, I'd like to talk a little bit about it, and then I'll let you guys go, because I got, I feel like a different picture from this thing, or, or had different feelings when I was reading it. So, uh yeah, I mean, I, I, it was an enjoyable little story, I guess, while it lasted. But my main issues with it is it just feels so brief. Uh, as far as these things go, not a whole lot happens within the book. It, it is really just this character-driven story about these two downed Andalite fighters that are trying to find their way back to each other. This is like the Animorphs saving Private Ryan, almost. You know, where they're just trying to get to Myrtle. Um and, uh, you know, you guys bring up a lot of good points that it definitely adds things to the overall uh, lore uh, as far as, like, thought speak and, and morphing are concerned or, or uh, Andalite culture uh, expands upon that a little bit, gives us some more, you know, things like Vekel and the Isopar root, uh, just a couple more cool things like that. But overall, I feel like this thing didn't leave much of an impression on me. Um, I, I said before, I think... It felt like these two characters were just left out of the the previous book where we had more Andalites on Earth. It, it feels like an odd timing to be like, okay, here's some more Andalites stories. Um, why didn't they just do this book a little later? Why didn't they go different directions with it? Why are they so resistant to adding recurring characters? Uh, I mean, they'll pull Eric out of their butt every other book, but when it comes to laying down some more Andalites, they can't do it. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know why. And, um, you know, just reading this book, I, I really wanted to get it over with. Um, I felt like when I was done, like, oh, no wonder. Even if I did read this in the past, I, I probably wouldn't have remembered it because it's just this story of uh, an Andalite couple trying to reunite. And by the way, uh, there, there is a note here that um, Michael Grant later as a, a part of like some diversity month or something tweeted uh, that 
Gafinolin and Myrtle were in fact a couple, like in a romantic sense. So uh, there's a whole nother layer to this that you guys can tear apart. But as far as my enjoyment and my overall rating and review of this book go, like it was an okay read, but honestly, I don't think you're missing much if you skip this guy. That's why for me, it, it ends up being a two, two out of five uh, Ilsapar root doobies. So there you go. Okay, I, I I don't mind going next and leaving our guest hosts rating for last. If you don't mind, Andrew. Oh no, I was actually going to uh, ask if I could go last. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know where you're going to land on it. Uh, I feel like you're a little more positive in my realm uh, than Mitch's realm, but we'll see. Um, personally, I can keep mine short and sweet because talking about this book, uh, I really got a kick out of going into the tangents and, and the things that this book inspires. Um, I think this writer is one of the better ghost writers. And that he really nails the characters. I mean, it doesn't even seem like he's read a lot of the other books, but what he brings to the characters and showing where they should be evolved at this point in the series. I'm sorry, you keep saying he, but it's she. I'm sorry, it's Gina. Sorry, I don't. I I don't even. I I didn't even look at who that was. (laughs) It's it's a she. um, Fair enough. I think what she brings to these characters uh, at this point in the series, I think she blows a lot of the other ghostwriters, even the ones we've really enjoyed, away as far as who is Marco, who is Jake, who is Rachel. Uh, and having those little moments where, you know, like like the Rachel coming in and, and joining the mission and, and giving everyone their own place within the book. I think you could give this book to someone... Like, obviously, there's earlier books that do this really well, too. But you give this book to someone who wants to get into the series and, like, this is who these characters are. And they would get that from this book. Except I think you would, again, see a more evolved, uh, deeper understanding of who the characters might be. Even if it's a little shallow overall in uh, going into, like, character arcs and things like that. Um, but I gotta agree with Mitch. I, I gotta I gotta agree with him that you 100% could skip this book. It's not really bringing anything to the mythology not bringing anything to the lore other than um, some cool morph lore, some cool thought speak lore. Uh, but even if you never read that, it wouldn't affect the end of the series or anything like that. Uh, but it's a shame. It's a shame that a book like this gets lost in the fold because I, I really liked it. Uh, but because of some continuity errors, like uh, Rachel doesn't have a bold eagle morph. It's a golden eagle. Hello. Um, because of some continuity errors and some, you know, just kind of... Um, you know, plot-wise, not being super important. Um, I, was, I was almost leaning towards a four, but I'm going to say a very, very, very strong three out of five Dwayne the Rock Andalites. Okay. <laughs> nice. Well, uh, if, if I may, uh, I'm going to be uh, agreeing a lot with Coleman on this and, and Mitchell uh, in that it is definitely pure filler. Like, this is just this is a filler book. It adds the morph... Uh, it adds, like, the morph allergy and stuff, but really it's just filler. But I'm one of those guys who, like, I almost like filler more than I like main series, which is, I know. Like, I'm the guy who loved, like, the third Captain arc on Bleach more than I liked the main plot. <laughs> like, uh, I, I like the Monster of the Week episodes better than Myth arc on X-Files. And I think good filler, like, really good filler, strengthens an overall show because it gives you sort of a break from like the main plot but it allows like you were saying coleman to really kind of be like okay well here's where the characters are now let's like really look at the characters outside of just this plot like and see you know how they're acting now if it's like later on in the series it gives you like a nice baseline to return to be like okay this is just sort of like this is where they're at now 
Like, uh, Ember Island players get so much guff in the oh Avatar gosh. community. I love Ember Island players. I think it's so great. It's an amazing episode. Yeah, and it gets, yeah. it gets so much hate. And that's this is like an Ember <laughs> Island players People to me. People don't like that episode? What? Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There is some major hate for Ember Island players. Surprising. Uh, yeah. Well, they think it's just a recap episode, but it's 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 great. And yeah, it's, it's not. It shows you. It gives you a little bit of backstory on Azula and Zuko and their whole relationship. It shows like you know where Zuko and Azula are now within the plot, uh, and that's what I think the other does is like you're saying. It's such a good character study on them to kind of like take a moment and step back, and it's like okay, there's only a little bit involving Visser in this. It's more just to see what these characters are doing. Wait, does Visitor 3 himself actually show up? I don't even remember. Uh, I don't think Is he, he in the does. fight scene? <laughs> I don't I think. don't think he does. He's referenced. Yeah, they, and they they talk about him his deal with Visitor 3, but Visitor 3 never shows up. Yeah, and so <laughs> they, they even had to skip over him. It's and that's the thing is like that's like it it I think they could have done a little bit more to give this some fun lore stuff to make it more necessary to read. Like again, if he wasn't allergic to morphs, but rather he had a, an opposition towards it. Or exploring a little bit more uh, on the Vekul ideology, which I don't think we touched on, but uh, you were saying earlier, Coleman, that you like the fact that like Axe doesn't really grow out of that idea. He, he still has it. He just approaches it a little differently. He says, I will remember you as you were, rather than you know remembering him as this awful, you know, tailless form. Uh, I think if they had done some more into... If they had used this more to talk about Andalites, like outside of the Illispar route, and they bring up all these little bits that don't go farther, that would make this like still a nice filler book in that it's like a kind of catch your breath book. But let you, you know, it would be a great vehicle to explore this other part of the Animorphs universe that we can't really get to in the main series. And it's it, this book for me is so good, but it has wasted potential, and that's why I have to give it. I, and I'm more generous because I really did enjoy a lot of part of the books. Uh, this is going to get a four out of five blurry VCD recordings of Unsolved Mysteries from me. Sweet. Wow. We got a good uh, good spectrum of reviews this time. Doesn't generally yeah, happen. Really, really got the full spread. And, and the only thing that kept me back from a four was the fact I had to look at some of the other books I'd given a four to. And I've given some pretty high books in the Animorphs mm-hmm. uh, series a four just because, like, one thing knocked it down or something. I'm a notorious so really... overrator. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's, I, I like that you, you – you're, I like your defensive filler. Like, that's that's cool. Like, it's not, it's not an opinion I would put out there. Like, I don't share that. Like, filler, I hate filler sometimes. Mm-hmm. But, um, but, yeah, yeah. You, you had a good point. No, this book is definitely wasted potential, though. I, I agree with you there, 100%. Oh, you're both agreeing with me. <laughs> I agree more. But anyway, uh, so yeah, I mean, that's the other. And uh, I, I'm kind of, every book like this, even though I enjoy the read, I'm excited that we're getting a little closer, a little closer to those uh, countdown to the end uh, books. Oh, my. Because uh, there's, there's at least three of those, or maybe just two, that I haven't read. And uh, I don't know why I started like halfway through the countdown to the end books, and that's all I read, but I did. And now it's uh, now it's all I want to do is read them. <laughs> well, we're fastly approaching. Um, yeah, you know, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, here's one way they could have wrapped this book up and actually made it mean something, is at the very end, you know, Axe says something like, uh, well, it's too bad, you know, 
we thought you were with the fleet and you could hook us up with uh, Homeworld. And they're like, oh, no, we're not. But um, here's a way that you can contact them. And, you know, had some kind of bridge to bring the Andalites back into the fight. But we don't even get that. No, you know what? You know what would have made this book more important? And I think it wouldn't have curtailed the series into the ending. Uh, like we talked about the last book, like that being too big of a thing uh, for like the Yerks to come out and be searching for them through the woods with all their resources. I think they could have had a scene in this book where they do meet up with Visitor 3 at the junkyard. Like maybe they're fighting and they're losing and uh, suddenly the Horpagers stop fighting and Visitor 3 steps out and he's, you know, talking down to him, so he's going to kill him and whatever. And Myrtle's got a shredder to his head. Boom. No, 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 no. You have, you have, you have, um, Visitor 3 turn to Guffin and, 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 and like say, hey, what can you give me? Turn over these guys or help me capture these guys or, or something. Like trying to make a deal with him there at the end and have him reveal to Visitor 3 that these aren't Andalites and Morph. They're humans. Like, not like give away the ending or like have them go into the end game but have that one piece of information finally get revealed. Uh, it should totally make sense in this book for that to happen because, you know, he saw them out of morph and they weren't as careful with that as they are in other books. And uh, it could have been like a big reveal in this book and kind of start us heading towards the end uh, with that. Because I don't know what book they actually, that Visitor 3 finds out they're human. Uh, yeah, it's not till the last, like, five or so, I think. Something like that. Yeah. I would have liked it if... Uh, Gafinolin had been like, but I thought you were from the fleet, and I was waiting on the fleet to come to so I could steal one to trade off to Visser. Like, just a weird <laughs> little reversal where it's like, oh, well, if if I'm not the homeworld fleet, and you're not the homeworld fleet, well, who's flying the plane? <laughs> no one. Uh, but, you know, I think they, they, they've made the point that it seems like Andalite homeworld just doesn't care about Earth anymore, and now they're on their yeah. own. So I, I think they're not necessarily waiting for more Andalites to show up mm-hmm. anymore. Um, they haven't done a very good job of communicating like their overall feelings on that since our previous book with the Andalites, just two books ago. Um, but the next one, The Familiar, is one that I'm really looking forward to because it's a bit of an odd duck uh, as yeah, far as these books go. Yeah, you could say that. <laughs> it's a big what if. I think the next few are, are kind of like these big what if episodes. Well, they just do um, a lot of like flash forwarding and sidewaysing and b- flashbacking, and they they get a little bit more loose with the the format of these books well, coming up. I'll, I'll tell you this: the familiar and the return and and Megamorse Five were the only other books I read in this part of the series. Like those are the books that I I would come back to, like the very start of the series. The David trilogy, and then the Familiar, the Return, and Megamorse Five. Uh, besides the end of the actual end of the series and the Limits Chronicles, those are the only ones in the '40s that I read. Um, so I'm really excited to to read these again. I, I love the Familiar. I don't think I've read the Familiar. I'm not sure. I can't remember it. Really? Huh. Well, that'll that'll be an interesting episode. <laughs> oh God, yeah. And it's coming up next time on ThoughtSpeak. So I guess this is the portion of the show where we wind ourselves down. But uh, first, I'd just like to say thank you. Super, very big thank you to our guest host, Andrew. Give yourself a round of applause. Uh, uh, definitely brought uh, an extra element to the show. And 
got in on a couple of rants, you know? I, I'm, I'm known for that. I want to thank you both, uh, A, for having me on the show, which has been in- ridiculously fun. I hope I, I, hope I didn't uh, do too bad of a job, but uh, either way, I had a great time, and I guess that's what matters. Uh, but also just uh, for making the show again. I've been, like uh, I was telling you all uh, off mic, you know, I've been listening since episode six. Uh, and I know I'm, my show was inspired in a large part by your guys. And I'm betting you could probably find someone else who heard your show and realized, like, you know, like, this is something I want to do. And uh, I, you're... If those idiots could do it, we could <laughs> No, but you, you all, you'll both have been a very big inspiration to me in that. And uh, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure listening. And to actually be on it is, is a dream come true. Like, uh, it really is. Well, Red, I mean, we in, we we uh, strive to inspire no one. So, I mean, we're we're doing something right. I no. take it. Well, yeah, I, it was a good time, and uh, I liked all the times that you agreed with me. That was, <laughs> that was awesome. Uh, but if anyone else would like to listen to our podcast, uh, other episodes are available on iTunes. You can check out our website at thoughtspeakcast dot uh, com. You can email us at thoughtspeakcast at gmail dot com. Mitch, you want to tell us where they can give us money? Absolutely, Coleman, I do. They can give us money at our Patreon, located at patreon.com slash thoughtspeak. And please, hop on there. Join the team. Um, I'm working on maybe, you know, we're, we're, we're going to get some website updates coming down the line, get a little prettier uh, facelift on that. And uh, uh, I, I'd like to do some kind of, like, really cheap merchandising, uh, cool stuff for our, our Patreon subscribers, keeping the show alive, uh, making the dream happen. Uh, hooking up people like Andrew and uh, keeping y'all coming back for more. So uh, just look forward to the future here on Thoughts because we wind down the rest yeah. of the Animorph series. Yeah, it's, as far as merchandise, I've, I've always wanted to do a t-shirt. I did t-shirts for our other podcast and, uh, you know, they, they were extremely fun to do, but they didn't really, you know, no one got super excited about them. So I'd, I'd, I'd love to have some inside joke we have, like, I want to read that book or something and, and create a design for a, uh, for a t-shirt. Oh, uh, I think that'd be pretty. A rad. T-shirt. I, I was thinking something else. I got I got some cool things. I'll I'll tell you, you like about a off camera. Or? You should no. get a hoodie and post it to Reddit. <laughs> <laughs> they do well there. Then we'll be drowning in karma. Uh, Andrew, please don't bring our controversial episodes up. I like just stopped getting emails on. Oh, like I could bring up my getting banned over this show. A- anyway, uh. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Lots of good memories to be had here, and uh, lots of good memories to come. But uh, until then, I have been your host, Mitchell. And I've been Coleman. And I've been guest host, Andrew. Yay! Well, uh, he did it. He did it. He did the thing. He done did it. Uh, so, yeah, we'll see y'all back here next time for another exciting installment of Thoughtspeak. Bye. Bye.